navigating the datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Welcome to episode 11 of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley. It's just a few short weeks after the Procona Live conference, and with our last episode being all about what's going on with Oracle, I decided that I would check in with one of our open source evangelists who attended the Procona Live conference for a similar conversation to find out what's going on with MySQL and how the conference went. Please join me in welcoming Derek Downey to the show. Hey, Derek, how's it going? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Help the audience get to know you. Can you give us a brief overview of your career? Yeah, so... I started my career about 13 years ago working at an advertising agency. And this advertising agency, this was about 2004, and they focused on car dealership advertising. So they were in the traditional advertising space around television ads, newspaper ads, radio spots. And they were looking to build websites for their clients to enter into the digital space. So I was hired on as a web developer to build these websites for the dealerships. And I was primarily the, the main developer that was in, responsible for the systems, the database, the data model, and how it interacted, getting the inventory out of these feed systems and into the dealership's website. But after a few years, we had hired additional developers, and there was still that need for a full-time database and systems administrator. Since I did that previously, I really enjoyed doing it. I went ahead and moved into that role, so I stopped doing the web development role. And that's a pretty standard thing for a MySQL administrator to move in from a developer role. Some of the responsibilities that I did were maintaining Mac XServes. This was a graphics-oriented company. So back in the day, Macs were the best hardware for dealing with graphics. And so that's all they knew. So I actually got to maintain Mac XServes. I'm probably one of the few people who's done that for MySQL. And I performed MySQL upgrades, built out their high availability strategy. And I still maintain the inventory, vehicle inventory ingestion process. So eventually we moved into Rackspace. So I helped migrate them from the Mac Xers and into Rackspace. And this was the on-prem dedicated hosted environment that Rackspace offered, not the, the cloud offering, because there was still a lot of distrust at the time of running on shared hosting in the cloud like that. So overall, I spent about six years doing that. But then once we got to Rackspace, we had our high availability strategy and disaster recovery plans in place. Things were stable and we weren't growing too much. So I started looking at freelance work, consulting work, and answering questions on Stack Exchange to get exposure to other issues that people faced. And that led to me being hired here at Pythian as a MySQL consultant. And that was about four and a half years ago. And so I was doing what I loved with answering all these different issues within the context of our Pythian clients. And there's a lot of different environments that we look at and a lot of issues. And I only spent two and a half years there, but the wide range of issues that we face, it's a lifetime of experience. Then I did a quick brief tangent over into our transformation group where I looked into building out operational visibility stacks and what it meant to understand not just the MySQL layer, but the entire stack and understanding how it's performing. I even had a chance to migrate a client's development team to using Docker for their applications and their microservices. But now I'm back at the MySQL group and focusing on MySQL and other open source databases 
primarily in a training capacity where I train concepts around MySQL and the open source techs, but also how to effectively and efficiently manage databases, especially now that the world is moving more towards cloud and cloud vendors are providing these databases of service offerings that automate away a lot of the operational tasks the DBAs typically have to do. Learning how to cope with that and how to adjust is, is where I'm spending a lot of my time now. Okay, so a long, diverse career. Okay, great. So how was the Percona Live Conference this year? Oh, the Percona Live Conference was really well done this year. It was a really good time to get there. What I love about Percona Live is it is really a user-based conference that we can get in and kind of talk shop with kind of the issues that we're facing in all of the industries run MySQL. And it's kind of really taking a little bit of a change. So it's not just MySQL anymore. And it's really reaching out to different open source databases as well. So it's really good just to get in there and talk with a lot of the people that I've interacted with during my career. Face-to-face is just a great time. Okay. Yeah. In researching for this episode, I noticed in, you know, for this year, it's the Percona Live, the open source database conference. Last year, it was the data performance conference. And most years previous, it was the MySQL conference. So is that in a nutshell how it's changed or were there other changes as well? So no, that's, it's really, it definitely started off as MySQL and the MySQL tool sets that are used to manage MySQL. But recently, we've started to, to branch out as new little niche open source databases like graphing databases or key value stores. As these start to become more popular, it's important to include those. So we, I mean, the kind of industries that are implementing MySQL are not the ones that are just going to do a relational database. They're doing other things with their data. So it's really choosing the right tools. And to have one conference where you can go and get insights for your organization on how everybody is solving these issues, and it's not focused on MySQL specifically, it's a really, really great opportunity. And I think the organizers of Percona Live really understand that. And so for the past couple of years, I've been going since 2014 to present there. And as you say, Chris, it's really changed a little bit Last year, I think it was focused a little bit more on data and operational visibility, getting insights into how well the data is performing, the application is accessing the queries. Last year, we did introduce a a Mongo track, but this year we have Mongo, Postgres, time series databases. It's really the wide range of open source. Okay. And... Did you, as you were mingling with the community, did you find that that some of the other DBAs were primarily working on Mongo or Cassandra or Postgres, or was it more about teaching about those things to current MySQL DBAs? They have a like a Mongo 101 track. So if you are a MySQL DBA, or maybe you don't know anything about NoSQL or databases in general, you can go to the Mongo 101 or MySQL 101 courses to learn and get taught about how to use them. There were a couple of sessions on if you are a MySQL DBA, you know, how does that translate to Mongo? But a lot of the sessions really are on how to solve certain issues with Mongo or or Postgres. Okay. But were those aimed at MySQL DBAs as well or the DBAs who are working in those technologies or does it matter? No, it's really what the the attendees are looking for and solving in their environment, and they don't have to be MySQL DBAs. It's, it's 
really about how to solve the problems with Mongo. And it doesn't matter if you're a MySQL DBA or a sysadmin or a developer. Live really does attract all these different types and the sessions can talk to each of those groups. Okay. And you had mentioned presenting. Did you present this year? And what was your talk on? Yeah. So this year I presented on a tool set or a tool that is used to manage MySQL HA and query routing. So it's called a, it's called proxy SQL. And basically what it allows you to do as a DBA is control the queries hitting your backend MySQL environment. It allows you to scale out and maybe shard data sets. It's just a very, very simple concept in terms of how you can receive queries. And the tool itself understands SQL, which is, you know, the other proxies that exist in, in the open source MySQL world are TCP proxies, so they don't understand the actual syntax of SQL. Mm -hmm. So proxy mm -hmm. SQL does, and that allows you to route queries to different environments, and you have a simple interface with proxy SQL. But it's fairly new, so the my presentation was actually on a tutorial with the creator of, of proxy SQL, and we talk about you know installing configuring it and we talk about how to use the query rewrite rules and the different use cases that you can solve with it it's fairly open-ended and gives you a chance to get hands-on with the technology and see how you can apply that in your environment so yeah it's a pretty good it's a well one it's a fantastic new technology in the open source world and getting a chance to actually experience it at the conference is good for the attendees Okay. The other thing I was looking at for Percona Live this year is, you know, the session list from the other presenters. And well, I noticed a few things. One, I knew at least a dozen of the presenters and had worked with them over the years, which was really great. And I found that the sessions were, and I'm a closed source, you know, DBA historically, but the sessions were very interesting sounding. And I think I'd like to go to Percona Live uh, at some point just to hear about the different approaches and how the other RDBMSs are doing different things. There was some good indexing and performance tuning stuff there I, I was really interested in. Yeah, so I think that the, for one, you mentioned knowing some of the people that are presenting there. And I think MySQL community and the open source community is fairly small and we're we're pretty active in, in being in a consulting company like Pythian. We touch on all these different companies and interact with a lot of people, so that's good. It's interesting you say that, though. I mean, the, the closed source DBA, what can you learn from a, a community like like the MySQL community or the other open source? It's, I mean, really, again, this is people sharing how they're solving issues, and that's really what makes MySQL great is that it's not limited to, you know, one company and putting feedback into what you would like to see in that company and that company deciding to create it or not create a feature or whatever. All these different internet-based companies are very big on, on providing features, how they're solving things, and if they had to go hack it to get it installed, they don't have to wait for a company to go do it. So you can start to see as a closed source DBA what people are looking and trending towards without having to wait for something like Microsoft or Oracle to implement it in their environment. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So out of the conference, I mean, did you see any like 
Were there any common themes that you saw this year that you'd like to talk about? So yeah, there's typical common themes are what's coming in in MySQL. So in MySQL, we have, you know, I use MySQL as a umbrella term, but there's different branches or forks of MySQL. So we have Oracle MySQL, that's the community edition that Oracle acquired a couple of years ago. Percona Server is a list of, you know, some, it's very tightly coupled with Oracle's release cycle with a, a couple of additional features focused around insights and little extra knobs that you can tweak in turn, but it, it's very close to the Oracle code base. And then you have MariaDB, which was founded by the creator of MySQL after Oracle acquired Sun Microsystems and therefore MySQL. So MariaDB was founded by the same guy who wanted to create the same, you know, kind of technology and have a lot of accept contributions without being tied to Oracle's contribution cycle. And so as time goes on, MariaDB and Oracle will diverge a little bit in the code base. So one of the main themes of this at Percona Live is, you know, the new features coming out in each of these environments. And a lot of it's based off the storage engines that MySQL can accept, third-party storage engines. We had Facebook's RocksDB was a big topic. We have a lot of different tools that people use to manage and MySQL environments and architectures, ProxySQL being one of them. But GitHub has a couple of great new tools for MySQL DBAs. So there was a lot of sessions on that. We still have the observability track. So how you can get insights into what your database are doing and the tools out there. One that is pretty common theme is Vivid Cortex, which is an enterprise third-party software as a service that gives you insight into your query patterns. So it, it's really focused on the queries hitting your database and how you can improve. If you improve those queries, you can improve the performance of your database. So observability tooling was a common thing. And also there were additional tracks other than just MySQL. We kind of touched on that a minute ago, but we had time series databases. One of the talks was on how to integrate OpenTSDB into Google Cloud's Bigtable. So getting an insight into what people were using time series databases for was a separate track of its own. The MongoDB track, MongoDB is a very popular open source database now, and it's becoming more mature from its early days. So it's important to know the use cases that MongoDB tries to solve. So there's an entire track. I think new this year was a entire track for Postgres which is the other open source relational database in uh, industry. So since there are these several different open source databases being presented at the conference, is it easy if you're a, you know, mainly a MySQL DBA to branch into Mongo or Postgres or some of the other databases that were talked about there, or are they completely foreign animals? What's the learning curve like? So MySQL versus Postgres, I'll tackle that one first, is they're both relational databases. They're based off some of the same principles. If you're familiar with the NODB storage engine, which is the one that implements a lot of the relational concepts within MySQL, then you're on your way to, to knowing what Postgres is. Postgres is probably the open source database that closely mimics what you would find in an enterprise relational database. 
so the learning curve there is not too greatly. It's just there are some architectural differences, but it wouldn't take you long to get up to speed. MongoDB is just it's very simple in terms of what it's trying to solve. So I would say that if you are an experienced MySQL DBA, and this will really go towards a lot of the other open source databases that may fall into the NoSQL spaces, that if you're familiar with some of the concepts and comfortable with what MySQL can do and cannot do, you can easily branch into these other technologies to figure out, okay, this is, and this is how I like to learn a new database technology is to say, this is a problem I want to solve. What can I do with this? Is it the right tool? Answer some of the basic questions of, you know, what can the tool do? What can it do? And, and then go from there. So to answer your question, it really depends on your level of experience. If you're five, 10 years into being MySQL and understanding the quirks of, of MySQL, then you can easily find the niche program that you want. Okay. So at the conference, you had mentioned that they talk about the future of MySQL and I'm being somewhat generic. I know there are different branches and, you know, some different attributes to each branch and, and whatnot. So I'm kind of generic on purpose. Are there any features that were announced that you are excited about? And if so, what are they? So there were a lot of features announced. I will focus a little bit more on the Oracle Community Edition because I'm more tied into that. I know in general, there are some features of relational database, traditional relational database vendors that are being implemented in, in both MariaDB and, and Oracle. And one example of that is the common table expressions. I can't tell you many years ago how many questions I saw on how you would do this, solve this problem in MySQL, and the answer in SQL Server was use CTEs. Uh, yeah, CTEs are pretty cool. <laughs> uh, so we're finally getting those. So that's pretty cool. Honestly, I have never ran into an issue where I actually needed them, but you don't know what you're missing until you, you, know, you get them, I guess. So that's good. There's more data type support around JSON. JSON support came in in the last MySQL version, and it's improving to allow a document store, which is very similar to what you might expect from from a MongoDB environment. MongoDB is a document store. MySQL is putting that in a framework so that you interact like you would a standard MySQL, but you get the same benefits that you would get as a document store. So that's pretty exciting. It actually kind of gives me a vision of what Oracle is trying to do with MySQL. More support around geospatial indexes. I think one of the biggest, biggest thing would be the introduction of what's called group replication. It is a way to make sure that you can scale your single environment to other nodes to prevent a single node being your single point of failure. So that is traditionally been done by a third-party plugin called Galera, and MySQL is implementing their own version of that concept within native MySQL. Mm. So potentially some troubling news if you're Galera. I don't think Galera is going to go anywhere, at least in the short term. MariaDB is built on, or MariaDB cluster, if you are doing some searching on, on MariaDB cluster, it leverages Galera. It didn't try to implement its own. So at the very least, it'll still be around within the concept of MariaDB. And Percona has their own version of it. So 
I would be interested to see how it plays out between Percona's version and Oracle's version, because again, Percona is very tightly coupled with Oracle's code base. So it, with the plugin architecture of MySQL, it's easy to overwrite it. So I think they'll coexist for for a long time before anything actually comes out of it. But it is it is a good move for for Oracle. We really should have started with some more foundational knowledge. So let's jump back for a second and just, do you want to name the branches and just kind of highlight what they are and key differences between them? Sure. So the first one is Oracle's MySQL. MySQL is, was developed and acquired by Sun Microsystems many years ago. But back in 2009 timeframe, Oracle actually acquired Sun Microsystems. So now Oracle owns the rights to MySQL, and they have two versions, which is a community edition and then an enterprise version that allows it, it gives support contracts and additional kind of features around security, visibility tool sets type of thing. But then we have a Percona server, which is, again, it is a, it basically just takes the code base of community edition MySQL and applies patches on top of it. It's really just a list of additional insights into what the server is doing to give a DBA more visibility into what MySQL is doing. It also adds, again, some finer tuning variables that you wouldn't find in Oracle. And then the third one is, the third primary one is MariaDB, which was created by the founder of MySQL. And once Oracle acquired MySQL, then they did branch off. They created their fork, and it is meant to be a drop-in replacement for MySQL. And then they've added additional features. So they it started to diverge in terms of what a drop-in really means. But And you really have to be careful if you're installing a new version of Red Hat Linux or CentOS 7. What you're going to get by default is MariaDB, when what you may have wanted was MySQL. Wasn't much of an issue before, but now that they're starting to diverge, they are becoming different. Of the three, which is the most popular, do you think? I think MySQL still is. Percona server, I won't say that it's more popular or anything. I do kind of lump Community Edition and, and Percona server together. So together, those two are more popular. MariaDB is implementing some really cool features that have been taken by Oracle to and implemented in a different way. It's hard to say which one's more popular, but I do think that the availability of all of these allows us a little bit more competition and it's actually really good for the for the ecosystem. Okay. So I remember back around I believe it was actually 2010 when Oracle acquired acquired Sun and subsequently MySQL. And at the time I remember the community being fairly upset up in arms about it and very concerned that Oracle would just basically just somehow destroy it. How do you think that the Oracle acquisition has been for MySQL? And do you think that it's helped it or hurt it? Or what have you seen? Yeah, back then it was a pretty, I wasn't working at Pythia at the time, so I wasn't in tune in the community as much, but I, I do know that it was a very concerning move for the MySQL community, whether Oracle would just kill it. But if you look back a little bit, Oracle actually acquired a company called InnoBase based out of Finland in 2005. 
And InnoBase was basically the company that created InnoDB, which is the relational database that lives and breathes and is now the default storage engine within MySQL. Oracle acquired that back in 2005 and implemented a lot of the features to keep it going. So they were not new to keeping open source projects alive, even though they acquired them. And they proved that, I mean, it's been, as you say, about seven years since they acquired it. And I would say that each release of MySQL has gotten a lot better in terms of feature set, yes, visibility in the roadmap, the development practices by implementing more and better test procedures have that they bring from Oracle. I think it's been really good that Oracle has acquired it because it's made the product a lot more mature and more robust. That's not to say that MySQL wouldn't have gotten there eventually. I mean, we look at the MariaDB, which is basically the same people who are developing MySQL. They can see what Oracle has done, and they can implement that in theirs. And MariaDB has come up with a lot of features that they backported over to MySQL. So overall, I think, again, the whole you know competition between the two has been very good for MySQL as a, as a general okay. term. Now, when I looked at the list of companies at Percona Live and the presenters, and you even mentioned this earlier, it sounds like it's still, you know, it was a lot of startups or or very fast-moving web-based presence type companies. Does MySQL have a place in the enterprise, like in your tier two Acme Financial kind of company? I think so. So what you have to realize about Percona Live is that the people that are coming here to present are the ones that are solving a lot of the scaling issues that MySQL have, the complex architectures, and they're there to share their knowledge and you know, contribute back to the community in that way. So that kind of sways what kind of environments that you see or the, the type of people presenting that you see at Percona Alive. Because I don't think that the tier two enterprise companies are in that space where they're trying to solve those large scaling issues with MySQL. They're still within that enterprise. But yeah, absolutely, there's, there's room for MySQL. You'll see MySQL being run in healthcare, financial, those type of industries. But they're also running, you know, the, the type of applications will be more geared towards your mobile applications or anything that you don't really want. You don't care about, you know, the whole ACID compliance. You don't care about business logic in the application. That's where MySQL really shines. And of course, there's areas of these enterprise companies that really fit into MySQL. And of course, you don't, you have the benefit of not having the cost associated with the, the licensing. You, the tooling around MySQL has improved well enough that in Gartner, you know, said in 2015 that open source tooling and, and the product itself has matured enough that the actual total cost of ownership in open source databases is a lot cheaper than these enterprise databases. So there's niches where you don't wanna do that. I, I think still that A, if you have your business logic in the data layer, you're probably not gonna to want to use MySQL until you get your development practices where the application is, you can trust that the information is there the transactional and relational support of foreign keys that you might find in enterprise relational databases, still not getting a lot of traction within, within the MySQL development. That's not to say it won't, but you do have to pick and choose what you want. 
to do. But they, okay. to answer the question, yeah, absolutely. There's a place in open, in enterprise, government, whatever, for open source databases. And that place is in the mobile and web backend space or, or what? I would say it's, yeah, I mean, those are the, the obvious ones. I'm trying to think of a, a different use case where outside of web, I mean, in, in the age of cloud and the internet of things and everything, everything is web, right? So yeah. I think that everything is going towards internet connectivity. And that means that it has to be available and performant for those types of users. And everyone wants things now. And MySQL really strat or really excels at, at providing that availability and performance as long as you can accept some sort of potential data loss, you know, and have and you understand it and you have steps to be able to figure out how to deal with that. There's right. For it. Right. Okay. And you've mentioned tools a few times and I think we could easily have a whole podcast on tools and spoiler alert, we are thinking about doing one of those, but before we get to that, I mean, I am a tool junkie. In SQL Server land, I get, you know, SQL Server Management Studio, which is a very robust nice looking GUI. I can, and people are probably going to make fun of me, but I can right click on anything I want and see what I can do with it. It's got IntelliSense that's helping me, you know, years ago we had, you had to remember all the names of everything. IntelliSense is like a cheater tool. So it's pre-filling the name of the table or the object that you're modifying and stuff. So we are really spoiled. Now, most very experienced SQL Server DBAs probably use other, they're still typing a lot and I do too. But anyway, that's my basis of comparison. So in the MySQL side of things, do you have nice, easy to use graphical tools like like that? So I understand the, the concept of GUIs. I personally got into a situation back in when I was starting in my career where I was using a GUI. So there are some out there and I'm sure they've improved a lot better. And I'll touch on that in a minute. But to finish that thought, I think that I got into a, a situation where I didn't really know what was going on underneath the tool. So I forced mm -hmm. myself to use the command line to learn, you know, the underlying features and, and the commands that the tool was executing so that I had a better sense of control. To illustrate that, when I was doing, when I was a web developer, I went into an environment where the people were using Dream, Dreamcast, I don't remember the name of the program. Is what you see is what you get editor for HTML. And when I looked at the code that it was generating, and it was so complex and convoluted that I forced our graphic designers to learn the code so that they, it was, it was more, it was cleaner, it was smaller, it was more efficient. They knew what they wanted to do. So I kind of tied the same thing in with GUIs. So I think you said that even long-term SQL Server DBAs will still do the command line or typing things in a lot more. So as long as there's a balance there, I think there's a place for GUIs. And Oracle has Workbench is their main tool for interacting with databases in a schema. You can do some data modeling. Well, there are some third-party vendors that provide them. The tool that I used back in the day was Navicot. Really good diagram generator. You could reverse engineer a schema and build out a diagram of the data model. There's one called SQL Yog. So people have their, their preferences in terms of, you know, getting insights into the data set. But then there's another area where GUIs are important and that's in understanding MySQL's replication topology. 
when you start getting more and more servers and it gets more complex, keeping track of all that really is really good to have a, a visual of that. And so there are the biggest new tools from GitHub called Orchestrator. The tool itself, it manages your replication topology, but it provides a GUI interface, a web-based GUI interface to visualize the topology. And I think that's really, really awesome. Agreed. Yeah, that can be very complex. And it's and I've seen some really great work in similar tools that, that's coming that really shows that that includes the data flowing around and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Now let's switch gears and talk a little bit about cloud. There have been some fairly exciting, I think, platform as a service or database as a service type offerings coming out in the cloud. You've got, you know, for example, AWS has Aurora DB. What do you think about those tools are, what are the use cases for those tools compared to typical MySQL on-prem? So take a step back a minute. So the cloud providers are generating these database as a service offerings. And most of them, including AWS, RDS has support for the standard database environment. So AWS has support for MySQL and MariaDB, Postgres, and of course the Oracle and the SQL servers as well. Google Cloud SQL is based off MySQL, so the standard MySQL code base. So they're not all generating their own you know, code base, even in the database of the service. But what they are able to do is to take on the burden of maintaining the tools that the vendors don't do. So the tools around automating backup and restores, high availability, a standard DBA is going to have to go find the right tool and piece it all together for their use case. Well, RDS, Cloud SQL does that for you and takes on the burden of making sure it works, right? But then there's there's areas of running in the cloud on the cloud services. And I'll admit I'm a more of a familiar with AWS than I am of the other vendors. But so I'll, I'll, I'll focus on that. And so what they have been able to see is that there are portions of MySQL's code don't work in a distributed cloud-based environment when people are spiking reads or writes, it could impact other areas. So that's what they tried to solve with Aurora. And so they're basically working within their services of EBS. And there's actually a good white paper that was released earlier this week about the architectural design choices of Aurora DB and why they did it and what they're trying to solve. And a lot of it is around the durability of the data, the redo logging that you would find in a distributed cloud environment. So they're ripping out chunks of MySQL. It started off as MySQL and they're ripping out the chunks that don't work well with the AWS environment and replacing with their own. So yeah, there's there's concern that, you know, from the open source community that they're closed sourcing this and they, they are not contributing back. You're going to get that, but they are contributing back in terms of their theories and, and ideas of why they did it and what they were trying to solve. And you'll see this actually with Google Cloud. They did the, the Spanner. They built Spanner from a completely ground up to solve some of these issues, but they're implementing their own use cases to work within the cloud. And I think that's only a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. So what does the decision matrix look like for someone who's making a decision on whether or not to build an on-prem MySQL server or use a cloud-based MySQL? So I think 
you won't be surprised that it's very similar to any other database. It's really tied into your organization. If you're just getting started as a company, as a small startup, you're probably going to be in the cloud because the you know the value proposition of of the cloud is is too good to pass up. You don't have to invest upfront in all your hardware. You don't have to do the maintenance cost. You know the typical opex around it. So that is one reason why you would be in in the cloud. Reverse that if you're in on-prem already and you already have that investment in. I still think that people are going to be trending more towards the cloud as their hardware costs, you know, as they have to reinvest in it and they have to refresh their hardware. The major cloud providers can solve that for you. But again, the premise is if you're in the cloud or you're just getting started up, you're probably going to be in the cloud for your database. If you're not, you're going to be on-prem. I do have one interesting use case where a large company that focused on you know storing a lot of data was Dropbox and they were in AWS but they got to a point where they felt that their data set and use case was so large and they, I'm, I'm talking about something like the reported numbers were 500 petabytes of data they felt that they were to a point where they could do that a lot cheaper on economies of scale than they could within by paying AWS to do it. So they actually migrated off. But I will say for most people, that's not, for most companies, that's not gonna be the case. Okay, yeah, and I've seen that on other platforms too, where they just get to a point where, and actually this is, it's very common to virtualize everything that's on-prem, but I've even seen where when you need the most and the maximum performance, they don't even necessarily virtualize, they, they use bare metal, which is a rare case, but I have seen customers that just have to use you just need that performance level. Yeah. And another technology that's coming into play that can better get you full utilization of your environment are the Docker containers. So, I mean, that's a bit of a bomb there. So <laughs> before we move on, I did want to mention, folks, if you check out episode one, shamelessly, I'll plug episode one of the Datascape podcast where Warner Chavis and I talked about the evolution of the DBA. What we've seen here from Derek's revelations in terms of database as a service in the cloud is the exact same trends of that B-list tasks being removed from the duties of the DBA so they can focus on the, the more heavy lifting, which is somewhat threatening, seemingly. But when you think about it, do you really want to be working on backups or is there more exciting and interesting work to do? So I highly recommend you consider checking out that episode. Yeah, before you go on, Chris, I just want to point out that within my sequel with the fact that there's so many technologies to keep track of and so many tool sets. You know, I don't want to spend my time as a, a MySQL DBA doing backups and failovers and stuff. I want to be figuring out what the best tools out there and keeping up to date and solving the issues that I need to really focus on and automate away that. So there is no danger for a MySQL DBA with automation. It's only good things. I agree. And when we've touched on it with a couple of different guests in other episodes as well. And when we get into it, when we start peeling back the layers, we end up naming, you know, several new careers that are being created by the cloud, by the cloud vendors, and even out of the automation that's being applied. So I think it's really exciting. I, I used to feel very, very honestly, I was very threatened by the cloud, you know, on the uh, five years ago. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to retrain. What am I going to do? They're going to take away all my stuff. But in the end, it's turning out to be qu actually quite good for me. And they also introduce different specializations, like each cloud vendor 
is very complicated. They're moving extremely fast. You cannot go that deep on all of them. You know, there's lots of niches and there's a lot of market. If you take the Stephen Covey approach, there's a, enough business for everyone. And there really is like, I don't think you could make a bad bet on, on a cloud vendor today if you chose one and specialized in it. Obviously, there's a little bit better fit in some of them. If you're a MySQL person, maybe as much as Microsoft is getting into open source and Azure and Linux, I might not go there. I'd probably go to Google or Amazon. So there are kind of more natural choices, but you know, there's always interesting stuff in the outliers too. Now you mentioned Docker. And that is a whole episode that I'm intending to have because use cases for persistent storage in Docker containers, I personally don't see them. Could you articulate just a little bit on what you meant in terms of using Docker to fully, you said, fully leverage your assets? So, yeah, I mean, the whole concept of Docker is to be able to virtualize all the applications that you're running. So if you think of being able to, you have a big machine that has set number of resources, CPU, memory, or whatever. You have idle periods, right? So VMs mm -hmm. kind of address this by being able to run multiple machines and they can pick and choose what resources they're running at any given time. So it really kind of maximizes the resource utilization. Docker takes it one step further by reducing the amount of overhead in terms of you know operating system resources. So the Docker containers you can you can run a lot more of them together on the same kind of hardware. Again, with the idea of maximizing the uses of, usage of the resources. Now, exactly what you said, the data persistence applications within Docker, anything that requires that persistence really, at this point in time, does remove some of the benefits of Docker. It's really great for stateless apps where you can move from host to host without having to move the data. MySQL, you know, database applications in Docker, things like that, you really have to have an eye for how you solve the problems with, with data on the server. You can't just turn it off on one and move it to another. So replication in MySQL comes in to help that, to solve some of that issue. But yeah, so there, there's a lot of issues within Docker to solve first. And the other one I'll mention is the network overhead. The main use case I can see for MySQL and Docker would be to run multiple MySQL instances on a single host without having and abstract away the difference in connectivity. So what I would do there is, you know, they all run on the same port, the applications all connect, but the biggest bottleneck with Docker right now is the network layer. And right. you can't abstract away that you can get away the, the network layer performance by tying it to the host network, but that removes the benefit of the whole abstracting away the connectivity information. Right. And I do see, I think Docker is going to be, is an exciting technology. And I think that it's going to be, when it matures a little bit more, I think that it's going to be a very, it will have more use cases. And the one that immediately comes to mind that I, I'm excited about is if I was an application vendor, and if I wasn't selling a, you know, SaaS style application, it was more of a traditional, here's some things that run on a web server and here's a database that goes behind it. If I was a vendor, creating a Docker container for the database would be very attractive to me because 
when you have customers installing their own database, and I would lock my customers out of the database as much as I could, because when you have your customers in charge of the database end of things, I mean, in my career, especially earlier and more client server days, a lot of time was spent working with vendors and it would come down to something in a setting or some way that the database was configured. And if you can lock your users out of database management or restrict that, then you can control that. And when you can do that, you could, I think you could potentially reduce your support costs or at least cut out a huge section of where could the problem be. Yeah. So one of the biggest use cases I've seen in MySQL is a multi-tenant e-commerce environment thing mm -hmm. shopify or something like that where you can create all the customers of shopify create their own websites and that data has to be stored and segregated somewhere i don't know what shopify's backend looks like but i imagine it's multi-tenant and each customer has their own database which has their own tables and you can coordinate your releases so that you can update a specific customer a b testing whatever with docker you can abstract that multi-tenancy a little bit more so that they're not all running on one MySQL database server on their different databases, database schemas. They're in their own segmented. And so as that customer gets more popular and more busy and, and they're generating more traffic, you could then move that customer off and you don't have that noisy neighbor that you have in a typical multi-tenant environment. Right. Right. Good point. And I want to, I, I'm really tempted to continue the interview on Docker because I'm super interested in it, but I'm going to hit pause there. I think we'll create an, a separate episode, probably a panel discussion with a couple of different types of DBAs and get a little bit deeper into Docker. Cause I know there's a, a very strong interest in, in the industry, in the DBA career and the industry in it and the use cases and whatnot. So I, I, I want to do it justice and give it a full episode tempting as it is. So the other thing that's kind of been on my mind a lot in the last year is the evolution of the DBA career. So I was kind of wondering if you were starting out, you know, as a, as a DBA, would you start in MySQL given what you know? So if I was starting off in, you know, just starting in my career, it's an entry level position. I think it's really tied to what your, your organization is doing and what the developers are deciding to use. Most choices in database technology today and in, in the industries that I've seen and the customers that I see is very much tied to the developer tool of choice and what kind of problems that they're trying to solve. So you have no SQL, you have key value stores, you have relational database needs in your organization. So I don't think it's tied to any one technology anymore. That's, you know, I do think that I can see a need to migrate from enterprise relational to open source. I mentioned the Gartner report earlier that the adoption of open source is coming. So I think for enterprise DBAs, they need to at least understand what is available within either MySQL or Postgres in terms of relational database. Okay. So let's say you are that enterprise. Let's say you're me. My history is in large financial companies as an enterprise style DBA. Now that was 10 years ago, but talk to Chris Presley 10 years ago. Give me some tips with current technology, of course. Where would I, because I don't want to talk about MySQL 4 and, you know, browsing the VAR directory, which I did once. And that's a whole 
other war story. But, you know, give advice to that uh, enterprise DBA who's working on a closed source system. Maybe it's Oracle, maybe it's MySQL Server, and you want to get started in it as an open source DBA. What, what are some tips that you, you would give me? So if you're experienced in the relational database of Oracle or SQL Server, figure out what kind of problems that you've solved within Oracle or SQL Server and figure out how that can be applied within MySQL or Postgres. I will say that the MySQL documentation is very good. I will say that in MySQL, your relational database storage engine of choice is going to be NODB. So look at NODB and what you can do with NODB. I will also say that you probably do not have a lot of the things that you want to do, you know, your business logic in the database, in the data layer you're going to have to adjust your mindset and it's going to be more, again, in the application layer and not in the database because a lot of that feature set is not in MySQL. Or go look at Postgres. I don't know a lot about Postgres, but that might be a better fit for you. The other thing that you're going to probably need to know is that you're used to your tool set matching very closely to MySQL or to the release cycle of your relational database. That's not the case in open source technology. The benefit is that we have all these community users of MySQL solving these problems and generating their own code and how to solve those problems. And it's not tied to Oracle's release cycle or MySQL's release cycle. The downside of that is that when a new data um, type comes in or a compression algorithm comes in, that your typical backup tool that you use doesn't know how to support it takes a while for those bugs to, to get fixed. So we just had an issue where MariaDB released a GA version that had a new compression algorithm. And if you're utilizing that in the environment, the standard MySQL tool for backups is not going to work. Um, so that's just one example. So get used to the idea that the tool set that you use to manage the environment is not, is not closely tied to your database which is why experienced MySQL DBAs are, it's difficult to find them because they have to know all the different puzzle pieces or Lego pieces that they have to use to piece together to solve the same kind of tasks that you're used to as a enterprise DBA. Okay. Are there any learning resources that you would recommend for that same person? Yeah, so there is a really good book that was created by, it's an O'Reilly book written by Peter Zaitsev and, and Byrne. Swartz and Vadim Satinko. I probably just butchered that name. But anyway, it's it's a book called High Performance MySQL 3rd Edition. And that is probably the the Bible for understanding MySQL. So okay. if you're just learning, go get that. Or, you know, O'Reilly's got an online resource that they can you can get that from that. But okay. you can also check out like Stack Exchange and Database Stack Exchange specifically to see what kind of questions people are asking and the answers around them. So I think those two are really good options. And of course, the documentation I mentioned of MySQL is really good to get a deep dive into what you can do with it. Okay. And folks, as usual, we there were a few links that Derek has mentioned along the way. You can find them in the show notes for the show. If you go to www.pythian.com, we have a tile right on the main page for Dayscape Podcast. Or if you Google Pythian blog Chris Presley or Pythian blog Dayscape Podcast, you will be able to find the episodes there with all of the show notes. If you're listening on SoundCloud, I also include a direct link to the episode show notes. 
and in the episode description. So hopefully you can find those things one way or another. Well, Derek, I feel like we've covered what I wanted to cover fairly well. Was there anything that you wanted to add? No, I think this has been a really good conversation. Thanks, Chris, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Well, we cannot end the episode without our usual lightning round. And this is where I ask you a series of questions. And I ask that you give a brief answer, but the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. What project are you most proud of? So I'm most proud of a project where I didn't have to, or I had to do a migration that did not have internet connectivity between the one host data center that I was migrating from to the one that I was migrating to. So there's no network connectivity at all. So that was a very interesting project to solve. And we did it with no downtime at all. What kind of size of data? Oh, it was about 100 gigs. Okay. I have to ask, I'm sorry. I, I blow up my lightning around for a second, but like, how did you do that? So there was no internet connectivity between the two servers, the source and the destination, but there was a jump server that happened to have both. So we copied the, the data set between the, from the source directory to that jump host and then copied it over to the destination. Typically in MySQL, you would connect replication between the two and get the, right. get the changes, all the changes from that to minimize downtime. So instead, we had to write a script to capture the, the same changes from the jump host and apply them to the destination. So it's a very similar concept. We just had to piece it together ourselves. Right, right. Okay, gotcha. What is a book that has made the most impact on your career? I would have to say that it is a non-technical book. And when I first started at Pythian, we had some suggested reading. And at the time, it was a book called Turn the Ship Around. Okay, okay. I've read that book too. And, and it's, a, it's a good one. It should be on anyone's list, I agree. Standing or sitting desk? I use a standing desk that allows me to sit if I want to. But for the past four and a half years, I pretty well stand unless I don't feel well. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Laptop or desktop? Laptop because that allows me to travel. Okay. Is that laptop a Mac or a PC? <laughs> At the present time, it's a Mac. I've been using Mac for 13 years. I was forced into it from my company that I was working at at the time and tying in the GUI interface, everything just kind of works, but then I have access to the command line. It's a big fit, but with the recent changes that Apple's introduced with the touch bar and the escape key and the dongles and all this other stuff, I don't, yeah, I maybe have to rethink my, my choices, but for now it's an Apple. Okay. Okay. I recently migrated back to PC and I missed some stuff, but I really was happy to get the delete key back. <laughs> <laughs> so iPhone or Android? I'm still on on iPhone. Everything kind of just still works with my environment. So iPhone. Yep. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. What is the best tool or app that you use on a daily basis that you recommend? So to keep track of all of the ongoing projects that we have here at Pythian and all the client issues, it's really important to be organized and to manage your tasks well. So for me, I use a tool called GQs that's available from Google. It really works well for me and allows me to share information with others. Okay, good stuff. Where can people find you if they want to see more of your writing, find out where you're speaking, that sort of thing? So I publish a lot of what I'm doing on the Pythian blog. So you can just search for me on the Pythian blog. I'm also on Twitter as my primary media of choice for interacting with people. And you can find me at Derek underscore Downing. Okay, excellent. Those will also be in the show notes. 
Well, that's all the time we had for today, folks. The biggest compliment you can give us, as always, is telling a friend about us and or writing a review on iTunes. What did you think about today's podcast? We love feedback. You can email us at datascapepodcast at gmail.com. Navigating the Datascape.